At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis this morning, um, Genesis chapter 1. I'm excited today to be with you and have the opportunity uh, to to share with you um, a challenging message from God's Word as we look at Genesis chapter 1. We're actually going to begin in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. I don't know about you, but do you sometimes wish that you had a social media family? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Some of you are like, yeah, I totally wish. You know, you know the, on social media, your family can be whatever family you want it to be, right? You can be that family on social media that's constantly taking vacations, right? The family that's always on vacation. You know that family, right? I, I want that family. Like, I would love to be that social media family that's always on vacation, always winning everything, right? You know that family, they're winning everything, at everything they try at, they, they're successful at, they're flawless, both physically and healthy, they're a beautiful family. Right? Those social media families, you know, that's, sometimes I wish I had that. Because in reality, life's really hard, especially when you're talking about family. Right? I, don't know, I don't know anything else that's more complicated than family. Right, have you ever tried to like, plan a family dinner with distant relatives? Right, it's not easy, right? You've got you to think about aunt this person and uncle this person and, and cousin this and their preferences and their likes and all that. And you can actually get crazy trying to, to fill all of those needs and, and trying to um, make it all be a peaceful time. And as much as I wish that I had a, a social media family, I don't. Life is real. I have four daughters. I have four teenage daughters, and life is real, right? Whatever you see, like if we actually post a nice picture, there's always a terrible story behind every beautiful picture, right? I, I wish there was a way of like taking the front of the picture and then like flipping it over and seeing the reality of that picture, right? Because life is hard. Life is difficult, and as soon as you open it up, even to extended family, things get messy really, really quick. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, each of our families have some level of dysfunction, some level of challenge, right? None of us are perfect. We don't, none of us have it figured out. And as families can be a blessing, they also can be difficult for us to deal with. And sometimes it can even cause us to question, like, why bother? If, if, if life is going to be so difficult, if family is going to be so difficult, then why even bother? Well, today, I want us, as we begin this series, we're starting a journey through a, a portion of the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And as we walk through this, what we're going to see is we're going to look at family. We're going to look at major accounts of the first families, and we're going to see as God affirms his design for the family. He's going to continually affirm his design. For we need to be reminded that the family was designed by God. It is a gift from God. 
And then we also need to see, as God has designed it, we also see as dysfunction makes its way into the family. God has made provision and God has given power for the family to actually live in the design that he's given the family. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look into families. We're going to see several families and we're going to pull back the curtain of their dysfunction. And we're going to see uh, just the way in which God can create or bring them back into his design. But before we actually get into families, we have to actually begin by talking about human beings. We have to talk about us, like who we are as God created creatures. Who are we? Why did God create us? And what did God create us to do? And so we need to begin there because we've got to understand God's design before we can step into uh, the dysfunction of the family, how we've taken that design and we've messed it up. And so today, as we begin, we're going to look at this major truth today. And the truth is that God designed humanity for dignity. God designed humanity for dignity. Each of us, as we know from the word of God, which we're going to see today, is we've been made in the image of God, and because of that, God gives each one of us dignity. But have you ever stopped to think about where does that dignity come from? Like, why is it that humanity has dignity? And today we're going to look to God's word, and we're going to see this answer to this question in three truths. Our dignity comes from our identity, our dignity comes from our distinction, and our dignity comes from our function. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to unpack this as we look at Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. So let's look there together. First 26 of chapter 1. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So the first truth that we see here in this passage is that God decrees human dominion. And you might not know what that, that means. We're going to unpack that so that you do. We're, we're jumping into a text, right? We're in verse 26 of chapter 1. And what's been taking place is that God has been in the process of creating. Right? He's speaking things into existence, things that weren't there before God is making by his voice. He's speaking the cosmos into reality. And he's done this for five days. Right? And by verse 26, we come to the middle of day six. And if we go prior to this, what we see is God is creating all the things, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all the things that creep along the ground. So livestock and all that. He's been very, very busy creating all of that. And you would think that by, by the time we get to verse 26, it would, should follow the refrain of all the days before where it says, and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So God gets to creation in the middle of day six and he changes things up. Instead of just stopping and saying, okay, we're, let's move on to the next day, he stops and then gives us this significant transition in this change he then says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so he makes humanity different than rest of creation. 
Right? It's, it's almost as that humanity becomes the pinnacle of creation because then we see that he gives, them, gives us purpose in a couple verses, a verse later, or down later in this verse, he says, and let them have dominion over. So we're made in God's image. So our dignity comes from our identity as it relates to our relationship to God and to the created order. Right? That's where our dignity comes from. Because God has made us in his image. He's designed us to be like him in some ways, but then has also made us to be his representative to all of creation. We're made in the image of God. The Latin term for this is imago Dei, meaning that we have the image or the likeness of God. And in its simplest terms, it literally means that we're made to resemble God. Now, we don't resemble God in the same way that many of us think a lot of times, right? God does not have a head. God does not have hands or feet or fingers or things like that. We know that God is spirit. So, so in that way, we're not like God, right? We also know that we're not like God because God is spirit, but we also know that God is holy. That means that God is other. He is different than us completely in some ways. But then in some ways, God has made us in his image or in his likeness, and I think there are three ways that God makes us, not in, our, not in our physical characteristics, but the part of us that's inside. So in some ways, I think that we're like God in that we have the ability to be rational. Right? We, we don't operate out of impulse or instinct like animals do. Right? We don't have animal instincts. We have a rational mind. We have the ability to think. We have the ability to, to look at things and reason and choose. And in those ways, we're like God. We're also like God in the beginning. We were created righteous. We were created morally right before the fall. And so in those ways, we're like God. But we're also like God socially, meaning that we are created for fellowship that we were created to be in relationship with the God of the universe. And so in some ways, it, it socially, we're, we're like that. And so we're made in the image of God. We're like God. But then we're also in the image of God to have dominion over creation. Another way of saying that is that we are created to represent and reign for God here on this earth. God gives humankind dominion over everything that is on the earth, the fish and the birds and the livestock and all the things that creep all over that. But he's given us this opportunity to exercise dominion, not in an ex exploitative way. We're not to take creation and exploit it, right? We are to take creation and be compassionate over it and care for creation. So we need the whole point of all of this is that we need to begin to understand who we are as human beings. God, God did not create us as the scum of the earth. God did not make us under creation. God does not see the trees as more valuable than you and I. God does not see the fish of the, of the, the sea as more valuable than you and I. God does not see the sunrise or the sunset as more valuable than you and I. God has put us in a place where there's dignity and worth built into our very fiber because we are different than creation in the fact that we were made in the image of God. Each one of us. 
So it doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account. It doesn't matter how how big your, your title is or how big your office is. None of those things matter because each one of us have been called by God as a human, as being made in the image of God. And we are bearers of that image. We, are, we bear that image together. And so when we look at each other, we don't see each other necessarily by the outward appearance. But we should look to the inside and see that each one of us have dignity and worth. Each one of us have equal value. See, we live in a world where we're constantly trying to make distinctions. Right? The world wants to put so many labels on you and tell you that you're this and that you're this and that you're this so that you can be other Right, so that you can be different. And in essence, we are not to be different in that way, but there is a unity with inside of humanity that we all are equal bearers of God's image. And God gives us, and we're gonna look at this dominion that he gives us in a little bit too. But secondly, not only are we designed with dignity because we have dominion, We're also designed with dignity because God designs human distinction. There's distinction, there's there's unity within humanity, but there's also distinction within that. Look, Look in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, verse 27 is is written in a poetic structure. It's it's a chiastic structure where you have a a statement and, and then it's, Said, restated in the opposite. And really what's happening here, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them. The, the structure here is to draw out the value and dignity of humanity. All humans are made in God's image and all humans are made like God. And so in this, ter- this way, the term man here is inclusive for all humanity. So there is no argument or confusion that every human being is a bearer of this image. And so we see that there's this shared unity. All humans have a shared unity. But then we get to the third line and we see that there is distinction even though there is unity. It says he created them male and female. So even though there's unity and dignity, there's also a distinction. We see that, that God distinctly gives two genders. There's male and there's female. And the grammatical emphasis at the beginning of this is, is, is this idea of this action that he created them. That, that God is the one that assigns gender. God is the one that gives maleness to males and femaleness to females. Not only about just their, their different body parts and different body structures, but we see that there's distinction in, in the, what we're supposed to do with our differences. And we're gonna see that in point three. But what we need to see here is that God has separated the human species into two equal yet distinct genders, male and female. This is God's design. 
This is the way God has said it. And as creator of all things, God has the right to set the rules. We, as humanity, don't get the right to set the rules. Our response is to live in in accord with God's design. And it's this point alone in our culture that there's so much confusion today. Where people in our culture today are trying to redefine or deny the fundamental reality of human nature. They're trying to usurp the authority of Scripture as it relates to human sexuality and human genderness. I want to read to you um, our statement of faith here at Woodside as it relates to our understanding of God's design. This is what it writes in our statement of faith. God created human beings, male and female. Therefore, we hold the distinction between two sexes to be sacred. We believe that God disapproves of and forbids any attempt to change the appearance or identity of one's biological sex by medical, surgical, non-binary acts, conduct, or by any other means. See, there were years ago that a statement like that would not need to be in a statement of faith. But as we see culture shifting, the church has to respond. We have to further clarify what we mean by that and what we believe God means by that. You see, there's a strong push in our culture today towards gender ideology. This this is the idea that is being prevalent in, in all areas of our culture that says that gender is not what our chromosomes say. That our gender is how we feel about ourselves. This is a massive shift that we need, we need to understand is really happening in real time in the world where you live and we live right now. This gender ideology is for to, to tell people to say, you may have a man's body, but your gender is up to you. How you feel, like you may feel as though you're a woman trapped in a man's body, and that's okay. We want to affirm that. And so this gender ideology is really at its core is a movement to overthrow all authority structures that God has ever designed. See, this is a big deal because God has defined gender very clear. And truth is more important than feeling. That's not true in our world today. Our world today says feeling is all that matters. If you feel this way, do that, be that, be happy. But feeling always leaves us in a place of, of, of confusion. Right, because our feelings are fickle. Your feelings are fickle. What you like today, you might not like tomorrow. What you love today, you might not love tomorrow. And if we live in this world, there's so much confusion. There's no stability. There's nothing that grounds us. And that's why we need truth. Truth grounds us. And there are those today that are adamantly advocating for this gender ideology. They want to push this ability to choose your gender above all authority structures, even among children. And this ideology is pitting parents against children. 
where these, those advocates for this ideology are saying, hey, don't listen to your parents. Your parents are archaic. They don't understand. But we want to care for you. We want you to have the ability to choose your gender. And I think Christians need to be aware of this. And I think Christians, as Christians, we should be on the forefront of challenging these advocates. We should be on the forefront of saying, wait a minute, we can't, we can't destroy God's design. Like, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we've got to stand firm on what we believe and what the Bible teaches. There's dignity and value in our humanity. There's dignity and value in our maleness and in our femaleness. God has created, God does not make mistakes. Right? Every person that God makes and gives breath to is precious in the sight of God. And though these advocates are trying to care for the human heart, I believe that they, they want to care for the human heart. Because I want you to know that this challenge that is facing people in our culture today is not something that sits on a paper. This is not an academic discussion. This topic is not abstract there are those that are struggling with this challenge today. There are humans that have dignity and worth that are really, really questioning. God, I feel this way. God, did you make a mistake? People actually look at themselves and they're unhappy with the way God has made them. And as the church, we should not, in the face of people that are struggling, we should not throw the Bible in their face. See, we fight against the advocates but we care for the people. We care for those that are struggling. We care for those that are confused. We must love and respect those that are confused about their gender because they are image bearers of God. You know, this, I, I wish I could talk more, but we've got more in the text here. There are some great resources that are out there. This is one book that I read this week entitled Gender Ideology, What Christians Need to Know. It's written by Sharon James. This is a quick read, but it really helps us unpack uh, how we as Christians can respond in love and respect for those that are walking through this challenge. Like church, it's, it's not enough for us just to go and say, hey, this is wrong and like be strong in, in, in against the advocates for this. We also must come alongside with compassion. And when we meet someone that's struggling, love them, care for them, walk, hear their story and try and understand where they're coming from because they're coming from a place that's hurting. We're all hurting in different ways, right? Some of us struggle with pride. Some of us struggle with self-identity. Some of us struggle with many different things and we all have our own struggle. But I think we need to listen and move in close with care and compassion. And if we place God back in the picture, if we keep God, God has been taken out of the picture, but if we put God back in the picture and we see him as creator, then we see him as the designer. We see him as the one that forms and makes according to his will, according to his design, according to his distinctions. And when we look at it in that way, we see dignity. We see the value of human life and human sexuality and gender are by his design. 
And he designs us with these distinctions for a deeper purpose. We need to understand that there's, anytime we try to, to bring a um, part of God's creation higher than the other, then we run the risk of messing with the design all completely and messing with the dignity, dignity of human value. And so we must renounce any patriarchal system or scheme that elevates men and subjugates women underneath them. We need to fight against that. We also need to fight against this radical feminism that seeks to overthrow all aspects of society that would have male leadership. Those things are, are not part of God's design. God says that there are, there's unity and dignity in humanity. So both male and female are created in the image of God, but we have distinctions in our roles. And we'll take a look at that a little bit more later. But God, as the authority, has the right to create. And when we live inside of God's design, it brings him much glory. But we also need to be reminded we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where the design of God has been marred. And as the church, as Christians, it should be our heart to not only seek to live inside of God's design ourselves, but also help others as well. And third, we see our dignity and humanity comes from God because God directs human duty. Look at me in verse 28. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit that you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We see after creating humanity with dignity and in the image of himself with unity and distinction, he now gives humanity this cultural mandate. He gives humanity the, the royal responsibility as royal representatives to creation, two distinct things to do. One is to create, and the second is to cultivate. Right? First is a, is a call to be fruitful and multiply. This is why there's distinction in humanity. In order for there to be this procreation of humanity, being fruitful and multiplying, we need the distinction of roles. We need maleness and we need femaleness. We see this throughout the whole created order, right? As, as Adam in, in chapter two, as Adam is given charge to care for the animals and give names to animals, he sees that every animal has a counterpart, right? Every bunny has a counterpart. There's a male bunny and a female bunny. Every goat, there's a male goat and there's a female that they fit together. And it says in chapter two that for Adam, there was no fit, no one there to compliment him. No one there to be with him. No one to help him procreate to make more. And so that's why God saw fit to give him Eve. So that there could be a fit. So that they could create and follow the mandate of being fruitful and multiply. But not only are human beings uh, created to 
create more human beings and fill the earth, but they are directed to subdue the earth. More likely, they're to care for and to keep all of creation. So the humans, the plants, the animals, the birds, the fish, geology, and all these things, it's our duty to help them thrive as part of God's creation. And we see that even God gives us provisions for all things by giving us the food to eat, all the seeds for not only us as humans, but also for all of creation. So God, God has provided everything that we need for life, but it's our responsibility, and all of this comes to care for the planet before the fall. We're called to make sure that we're caring for God's creation, not using and abusing and exploiting all that God has created So in this way that God has created us to cultivate, we should be seeking to to utilize God's creation for its benefit. As we seek to create things, we should live out our, our, our caring for the arts and literature and music and history and all those things. And we should be looking at human dignity as promoted by by not only making more humans. But we should live in such a way that cares for the planet in a way that doesn't use it and abuse it. We are earth keepers. And so we should think through things as we we choose to buy the cars that we choose to buy and the places that we choose to live and how we choose to take walks in creation, deal with our trash and be responsible for those things because this is our way of caring for the planet. Our dignity is given to us with also duty of caring. And when we live in this way, it glorifies God. But you know what? Even in God's creation, we see that because of the fall, all of that which God has made has been marred and destroyed. And so it's impossible for us to live in God's design by ourselves. Why? Because we already begin with a nature that is a rebel against God. And so in essence, we begin life at odds with God. And it's impossible on our own to live inside of God's design. We can't care for the planet in the right way. We can't care for other people in the right way. We can't hold out God's design even for for marriage and humanity in ourselves. We need someone else. And that's why God sent Jesus. Jesus was, the, was both perfectly God, fully God, and fully man at the same time. Jesus came to fix the curse of the fall. He gave, came to give us new life and to give us new hope. And so what did Jesus do? In his godness, his holiness, his completeness, he takes on flesh. So divinity and humanity come together in a perfect way in the person of Christ. And what does this perfect person, this God-man do? He comes and lives a perfect life. Every single breath, every single thought, every single deed is perfectly inside of the design of God. He is the perfection of humanity. And Jesus came in order to reestablish what was broken in the garden. He came to reestablish and give new life. And the way Jesus did that was becoming the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus went to a cruel cross where the sin of the world was placed on him. And Jesus endured the wrath of God for our sin. 
He took the punishment for all the things that you have done, all the things that I have done, and he endured the wrath of God, and Jesus died. This God-man died. And God saw his sacrifice as enough and raised him from the dead, and now Jesus is alive, and Jesus has put to death, death, sin, all of that wicked stuff that's there, all of the punishment that was due us was paid for by Jesus. And if we come to the place of trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then his work becomes our work, and we become children of God, where our sins are forgiven, our wrath has been absorbed by Jesus, and we can live, we can actually begin to live in God's design. Because through Jesus, God gives us a fresh start. We have a new beginning. We have a new nature inside of us. We have the ability to desire God's design, and we have the power, because the Holy Spirit living inside of us moves us towards desiring to live in God's design. So this morning, as we begin this talking about family, family is worth fighting for. Family is worth dying for because it is by God's design, his gift to us so that we would know what it feels like to have relationships. So we could have human relationships so that we could understand and yearn for a heavenly relationship with God, our creator. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you have come to the place of trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, I pray that you would come today. And I pray that you would come and place your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here today and you really are struggling with the way God has made you. Maybe you have these deep questions and you're, you're challenged by that and you're like, God, why did you make me this way? I want you to know that you don't have to suffer alone. You can come talk to me. I would love to share with you and give you resources and pray with you and talk with you. But you don't have to suffer alone. There's a way in which we can care for God's design and care for the way in which God has made each one of us with dignity and worth. Or maybe you're here today and you just have, have thought, forgotten about the fact that God has called us to be cultivators, carers of God's creation. I'm not talking about some, some radical agenda. I'm not talking about trying to figure, I'm talking about being a earth keeper, one that cares for the creation that God has given us. That we care for it in love and we care for it in respect and we care for that which God has placed under our feet as stewards of. Because you know, when God comes back, we're gonna have to give an account for how we cared for what he called us to care for. And he called us to care for the planet, called us to care for animals and the birds and the fish and make sure that we're doing that well. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we come and we thank you that as creator, you cared enough for us to make us in your image that you've made us like you, but then you've also given us the opportunity to, be, to have unity, but also distinction. And so Father, I pray that we today would begin and through the rest of this series, would begin to understand more of our roles, roles that you have designed, roles that you've given as a gift Father, may we see others too as having equal value, equal in dignity, 
And in a world, Father, that seeks to constantly divide, would we be the ones that seek to fight for the image of God? Fight for the dignity and the worth, even of those that are oppressed, those that are ostracized, those that are demeaned. May we care well, and may we worship you, for you are creator of all of this. Father, as we continue in our time of worship, may these words that come out of our mouths be a reflection of our hearts. May we truly give over our feelings to you so that you can inform our feelings by your truth and may your truth then transform our feelings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.